wait, I think I had the cause and effect backwards. Yes, the world at bay from Cthulhu. We will not seek out Cthulhu and destroy it. Now we unleash our forces. The real enemy was man. Right. <laughs> Live from the Mundangerous Physical Therapy Center in New York City, I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan. And welcome to episode 231 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're discussing long-term consequences for player characters. But first, the party volunteers for a repair job in the Gates of Mourning campaign. And later, the immortal laughs in the face of death in the Character Creation Forge. Total Party Thrill is brought to you this week by Elderwood Academy. Elderwood Academy are artisans who craft amazing gaming products, including dice towers, dice trays, dice boxes, deck boxes, dice, and more. All of the products are crafted to look like spellbooks, scroll cases, codexes, and other awesome fantasy gear that we love. It's also super customizable because you can slap on a bunch of different, I don't know, logos, glyphs, runes, etc. on them. Uh, different color leather, different color wood, yeah, all types of choices. We just actually, at PAX Unplugged, we saw their booth there. They have more stuff than even I could imagine, and on a regular basis, I am going to their website to pick things to talk about for this copy. Well, now that you're a dice collector, uh, <laughs> maybe you're going to have more of it in hand, literally. Yeah, I mean, the, the hex chest is, is actually really great for that, because um, it stores your dice in like a, a nice little flat kind of container. It's like hex-shaped. Um but it's, it's wonderful for transporting your dice, so uh, I am definitely going to be picking one of those up soon. Yeah, it's got the uh, internal padding, so each die doesn't actually touch each other. Yeah, its own little tray. It's own little, like a, like a little escargot delivery service for dice. Probably good for those expensive dice made out of actual rocks that probably are going to shear at some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, <laughs> that is a... Uh, you know, <laughs> I don't trust rocks. <laughs> Pointy math rocks. Yeah. Thousands of years ago, we discovered this thing called metal. Right. <laughs> yeah, you can find those hex dice trays. You can find uh, metal dice. And you can also find stone dice over at elderwoodacademy.com slash don't split. So Shane, this is the first time that we're recording where we actually know what happened in Stream of Blades, our uh, Band of Blades live stream campaign that just finished. Yeah, it just finished uh, three days ago as the recording flies. It was pretty intense. I, I know last week I was like, whoa, it was pretty intense, huh? but like it actually was pretty intense. <laughs> well, thank you, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, man, the dice matter a lot. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, your, uh, your rolls were hot, hot, hot in the beginning and cold, cold, cold at the end, and we'll see what happens. <laughs> yep. Uh, hang out with us to the very end to do, uh, as we do all of our uh, sad, sad math. Yeah, exactly. So I am very proud of this game. Like, I, it, it was difficult to do, right? Like, to stream it is a whole new challenge that um, I didn't fully have my head wrapped around as a GM. Um, but like, I, I was really proud of the characters that we created, the stories that we told, um, the overall like narrative of the core undying. Like, how did you feel? 
you should be proud of of running that game i think strash and john should also be very proud of putting together a game system like this um the experience of playing this game was unlike pretty much anything else that i have been through with a tabletop game mainly because of the character switching you know we'd create mm-hmm. a character you get invested in that character as you play them you even make decisions about how they're you know spending their xp but then someone else might play that character or you might play a character that someone else created and invested in so it really contributed to that intra-party dynamic that you're always trying to capture in a war game that is always i think at least in my experience kind of fleeting or, or difficult to get to get a hold of mm-hmm the thing that I observed too was like you you sort of had your main specialist that each of you like identified with, but over the course of eleven sessions, you wanted to play other ones because you wanted to see how they worked. Um, but when you were looking around and like casting about for like how you would make decisions and who it would impact, I think you had a much better grasp of who all the characters were because you played them, right? So they weren't NPCs to you, even though you maybe only created them and played them once. Like they were sort of a secondary PC that you thought about that like you drew in like Leonin for example right who was just a minor rookie who happened to live through his first mission and get played twice and it really captured that thing that you know we'll talk about the all guardsmen party which is like a wacky 40k recap mm-hmm. uh, and how like they began by basically just seeing who survived the first mission out of like a squad of 40 and you end up with like six well, it's like several squads of 40. <laughs> uh, right, because the first several just are completely wiped out. It's just are completely dead, yeah. <laughs> and then you end up with, you know, you didn't even decide this is the character I was going to play. These are the people left. Right. A- and yeah, like when uh, Rudy first created Slip Repeat, I was like, I'm glad Rudy's going to enjoy that character. What a jerk. Uh-huh. And then And then I ended up playing Pete and I was like, it's kind of fun to be the jerk. <laughs> uh-huh. But only once, you know? Like, right. You don't have to do it every single time. <laughs> and it also gives you a, a really good understanding of the character's capabilities when you are trying to figure out who gets um, assigned to what mission. Yeah. Because you've actually played them. I think that was the most challenging part, which wouldn't be a big problem at a table, but I think for a stream was challenging, was all of the character switching meant everybody needed to quickly learn what their character did to play them. Because you can easily go sideways on missions if you're not using all of your capabilities. Yeah. Um, so that was a little bit challenging to like have to talk through those mechanics on on camera w- was not ideal, you know. So we we kind of had to work around that a little bit. But we did it in a very entertaining way, listeners. So you should definitely <laughs> check it out. Uh, all of it's now available on YouTube. Yeah, you search Stream of Blades, you search Total Party Thrill, you can find it on YouTube. There is a single playlist that has all 11 episodes collected for you. Yeah, and since each one is between three and four hours, well, it's probably the holidays for you. So, I don't know, get away from your family or get bring the whole family together. <laughs> yeah, bring the family together around your uh, around your YouTube app on your, uh, on your Fire Stick or your Apple TV and come watch Band of Blades. <laughs> yeah, what else are you going to do? Talk politics? Right. All right, so where are we in the Gates of Morning campaign? So the Gates of Morning campaign is our 5th edition D&D game set in Eberron, a sequel of sorts to the original Morning Glory campaign. And on the day of morning, along a barren stretch of a Carnathy battlefield, the party is fighting for their lives. Uh, it is important to note, I think when we first started this uh, recap just a couple episodes ago, uh, I was like, oh, on the 20th of Olaroon, 994YK. Uh, yeah, that's that's the day of morning. Uh, and, and I think... 
probably half of you knew that when I said dawn on the 20th of Olerun and like four of you were like oh no and a couple others were like uh what yeah I was one of those couple others (laughs) but of course this is I say a sequel right it is a campaign happening in parallel with the original morning glory campaign so all of you knew what your other characters in that game were doing on this particular day yes it's a spin-off Okay, so where are we? All right, so huddled in the shelter of a rocky outcropping, a squad of Ondarian soldiers is helping the party protect a group of refugees. Now, the scout, the Ondarian scout Margana, has just announced that the undead who are swarming the entire battlefield will soon surround this position, so it won't be safe for very long. But the Ondarian colonel, Darian Ephraim, says he has an idea. Yeah, he says he knows of a safe place about two miles to the south, Uh, but the way is currently blocked by undead. Now, the original Ondarian mission in this part of Karnath was to escort arcane ballistae to the front. These are like 15-foot-tall automated cannons that artificers build, uh, and they hover over the terrain. So you don't have to push them. They don't have big treads. They just sort of like gently float over, you know, mud and and trenches or whatever, and then fire these massive uh, like crossbow bolts that sometimes explode or have spells cast on them. Uh, And, you know, once they get set up, they... They don't even need someone operating them. Mm-hmm. So one of them is sitting upturned, uh, kind of in no man's land. And if only a group of people were brave enough to run out there and write it, they should be able to use it to open fire uh, and open a hole in the undead ranks so that we can escape to the south. So you send out all the refugees. Yep. And <laughs> now, hey, now we don't have to worry about escorting them any further. That's right. And they all die horribly. The end. No, that's not what happens. Okay, okay. <laughs> so uh, the brave, brave green singers, Bramble and Warden, volunteer, uh, as does Lucky the Paladin, Zan the Hexblade, Lenore the Rogue, and Decimus the Artificer, uh, which is to say, the party. Right. Huh. Hmm. How did you all come together? Uh, mm-hmm. We made a bad decision. Right. So the uh, <laughs> the dwarf, Sergeant Bach, uh, also knows how the ballista works, so he accompanies them. So the Ondarians begin laying down cover fire uh, while the small group rushes headlong right back into the incoming fire of the volley of arrows that the undead are sort of almost loosing at random. Almost immediately, Sergeant Bach takes an arrow in one of his arms, like a straight through. So he's not going to be able to use that arm to repair the ballista himself. So he's going to have to tell someone else how to repair it. I'm guessing that might be the artificer. Uh Uh-huh. Then Lenore spies a clear path through the waterlogged mud, so they avoid the trenches that are now filled with rain, and the group shelters in the lee of the giant ballista, uh, which is now stuck in that very same mud on its side. All right, so they know that they need to write this thing. Warden, the druid, then turns into a bear yet again, and they rig a harness uh, onto him that they then uh, attach to the ballista. Uh, Lucky the paladin, who of course has an aura that improves saving throws, jumps on the bear's back, and it was very nice of you to uh, allow uh, her to ride you, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but also, you know, you were making deck saves against evocation grenades, so it was also in your best interest, I suppose. Exactly. (laughs) And the two of them, again, right back out into incoming fire to the other side of the ballista to pull from that side. Out back... Decimus and Bramble are using magic while everyone else is physically pushing. I think 
uh, both of them were sort of like putting their back up against uh, the ballista and then firing thunder waves into the ground. Right. So eventually we topple it, right it upright, and unfortunately Lucky is struck down by an arrow. So Warden grabs her uh, in his bear mouth and drags her to safety so Bramble can heal her. And we'll find out what happens next, next week. So this week we are talking about long-term consequences, which is a topic that came from our Discord, suggested by AwfulMonk and LJMatlock79. Please keep those suggestions coming. (laughs) (laughs) We do write them down. (laughs) They're they're very helpful. So this topic kind of came from from two directions. First was, um, when would you cut off players' limbs, a.k.a. inflict permanent injuries, um, and then sort of the broader question was, how do you use lasting, impactful consequences? I mean, you cut off limbs whenever you want, right? You just offer a demonic replacement. <laughs> That's, uh, well, we'll get to that. <laughs> <laughs> offer is a strong word. <laughs> I mean, here we are. Uh, the final, I guess, I don't know, Star Wars movie uh, is out this week. I haven't seen it yet. Uh, no spoilers. You know, there's lots of limbs getting hacked off there. Star Wars does it all the time. Yeah, that is a common Star Wars thing, isn't it? Although, don't they just have, you know, cybernetic replacements that are just as good as the old one? They do. Makes it harder to cast force lightning. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Easier to cast real lightning. (laughs) All right. So, something that may be implied by this question is that the consequences are negative. Uh, We're going to talk about that as well as sort of positive consequences and, and what you can do long term. Um, but so let's let's start with those negative things. Um, when we talk about negative consequences, what we're mostly talking about is things that hinder gameplay, right? So if you lose an arm, you can't use two-handed weapons. Like, it is more difficult to play the game that way. Right, you're choosing between sword or shield. You can't do both anymore. Right. It's more difficult to climb. <laughs> it's much tougher to be a thief with just one arm. Right. Hard to use those lockpicks. Uh, you don't fit into your armor anymore. You know, you just got like one arm dangling on your armor. But negative consequences can also change characters in other ways or even recast them in sort of the um, the role that they play within the party and within the game itself. This can be something like permanent or long-term mind control or madness or psychosis. Um, it could be betrayal. Uh, I mean, maybe that is because the character is forced into betraying the party either against their will or blackmail or um or mind control or could be because they were deceived by uh you know an opponent who is very good at trickery yeah and it doesn't just have to be the party either it could be you know any npc that's important to them right like it's it's stuff that changes you know who the character is that you've created is no longer is no longer the same character because of something that has happened to them and then it could also just be altered aesthetics. So things like scars or corruptions or mutations, um, blights, things like that, like could, could leave a character physically different, uh, which, you know, changes that character, maybe not even mechanically, but at least in the eyes of the player. So I think there might be a lot of mm, old school players who are hearing this and going, okay, what's, what's the problem? Like you're, you're playing an adventure, bad things happen to people sometimes. Mm-hmm. What's the well, issue? I think the issue is that it alters the player's connection to their character, right? The the thing that you created this character to do or the thing that you envisioned for this character or the way you um, want them to be, the way you want to play them is no longer exactly who they are, right? So you have taken a little bit of agency and uh, risked that connection between the player and the character. 
Yeah, I, and I think that's the important part is the is the loss of agency here. You know, there's nothing wrong with a character having a scar or maybe even a mutation. Like we've played 40k games where people pick a mutation at the beginning of character creation. They're like, oh yeah, I totally want to be a mutant. You mm-hmm. know, but having it handed to you or forced on you, well, that's not necessarily a. a a bad thing right you might be signing up for a game where you don't have a, a ton of agency but i think there are a lot of players um who are very invested in the way that their character looks or functions or or a build anything like that and having it changed without your say so um, or without having a conversation ahead of time is dangerous territory yeah i mean so one part of it is like you might not quite know what that connection looks like between that character and that player um like as the gm the other thing is, like, as a player, you might not know what that connection looks like until it happens to you, right? So you're experiencing that in real time, um, and that's changing the way that you feel about the game. Mm. So let's talk about sort of the approaches for introducing these negative consequences. Because like you said, it, it depends a lot about how the game is set up, right? And I think there are four. So the first one, I think, is when you have bad stuff happen, but it's recoverable. Um, so somehow you can overcome whatever has happened and kind of course correct and get back onto whatever track you were. I think we're not talking here about like a debuff or something that's easily fixed in in one session. I mean, we're talking about long-term consequences. So it does last for a longer time, but it can potentially be fixed. Right. So here, don't discount that initial sense of grief that a player might have about losing something that they feel is integral to their character they don't necessarily know right now that they might be able to fix it. Um, but even if they do, like you're still sort of living with this, a thing is still happening. And especially if you're role playing the character, the character doesn't necessarily know that it, it can be fixed. And in the moment, you know, a scar or the loss of a, a, a limb, these are, these are traumatic experiences. Mm-hmm. I, I think as a GM though, you want to have a path in mind to either fix or overcome the consequence. Um, and then you also might need to have something short term or temporary or like partial in order to like keep that character and that player moving forward in the current session or the current encounter or whatever. So like uh, an example here might be like, you know, if the, uh, if the heavy weapon specialist shatters her collarbone, um, she can no longer use her heavy machine gun, right? One handed, but maybe she can rig a harness that'll like temporarily let her do it with only a minor penalty. You know, she takes one black die on her roll instead of like just absolutely cannot use it. And then she can seek a long term fix later. Yeah. And this is an opportunity for either the character to sort of shine in a different area. Right. I rig a harness. Right. Because I'm also good with mechanics or some other member of the party can say, wait a minute. Hold on. I think I can help here. Mm-hmm. And when you're doing this, you, w- you want to challenge the player to try to solve this problem as their character would do it, you know this has happened to you in the moment your collarbone is shattered you're in the middle of a combat what do you do i I don't think you're gonna just drop your um heavy machine gun and and run for it right you're not gonna curl up into a ball you'll probably push through it but how are you gonna do that yeah so it's funny like in in that example right like the flip side was like red raging in uh in stream of blades like if she had broken her collarbone and could no longer wield her maul she absolutely would have grabbed a knife (laughs) and just kept going you know like if she was in a fight she wasn't gonna back down because of something as minor as you know oh my left arm doesn't work (laughs) right and like if the knife broke she'd grab a rock and if her other arm got broken she'd start headbutting you know right exactly (laughs) (laughs) 
but that was her way of dealing with it, you know? Right. <laughs> I Like, you kind of did this with Bran, too, right? Like, Bran famously lost an arm in the uh, in the first Morning Glory campaign uh, because it didn't quite make it through a portal in time uh, when that portal closed. And, like, immediately, like, as a player, I was, like, grief-stricken, right? Because now my beautiful, like, wonderful Inquisitor character was kind of missing that thing that was his whole deal, mm-hmm. which was, you know, carrying around a shield and having a high AC and generally being um, a monster. And now he was missing an arm and couldn't do magic, <laughs> right? So, like, I immediately cast about for what can we do for this. Like, we didn't have access to, like, magic that could fix it, so... I went to the devil in the party and said, hey, make me a deal. I need an arm. Right. Uh, which <laughs> ended up being a, a great sort of character moment for everyone in the party. While everyone else was like, no, don't do it. No, do it. Don't do it. It's just an arm. We'll fix it. We'll figure it out. Everyone else is going, wait, you can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Bran was like, I need an arm right now or we're all going to die. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I think also above the table, you know, I was like, to you as a player being like look I, I know this is actually a kind of a crappy thing that you have lost an arm um, it won't last forever like there are solutions that are coming if you want to come up with solutions on your own that is also totally fine like do whatever you need to do with this and, and we will figure it out oh yeah well we figured it out <laughs> um, but you know on that like kind of on that note I think it's important you you need to resist the urge to lessen the sting with by providing an easy out, right? Like, what you didn't do is say, oh, it's cool, on the other side of this portal is uh, is a magical replacement arm, you're fine, right? Like, Shane, you're upset, so I'm just going to fix it for you. Right, um, or the next NPC that you meet can cast Regenerate. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, you didn't send this message that, like, because something bad happened and you complained about it, I fixed it for you. You know, like you, you just send like you create a weird dynamic at the table when that becomes the solution. Yeah. I mean, in this, in these instances where a problem is ultimately fixable, you do kind of need to thread the needle in, Hey, this is something you are going to need to deal with for now. I mean, don't completely despair because it won't last forever, but have this be part of an arc. Right. Um, And then, as a GM, like you want to provide opportunities and pathways to a solution that the players can find for themselves. So, like if a character comes in with, you know, a severe blight, um, maybe an NPC that they speak to says, "Oh, have you spoken to the priests? They may be able to help you." Right? They might require something of you. They might have a quest for you, or or whatever. Right? But they might require some other sacrifice but maybe they can fix this specific problem. And, and now you have like a story path forward, not just like a, an undo button. Yeah, when we say that a negative consequence is fixable or re- recoverable, it doesn't mean that it is free or that it is easy or that it is quick. You know, it can actually be uh, the, the party's next quest or um, it can be part of uh, what they're already working on in, in order to actually fix whatever it is that they've lost. It can be expensive emotionally or or just monetarily. Right. So another kind of negative consequence then is when bad stuff happens, but it's unrecoverable. You you can't come back from it. There's no there's no way to mitigate the outcome. 
And I think the biggest risk here is you could end up with a character who is technically alive, but the player is no longer interested in playing that character. So they are effectively dead. So this is like uh, things like an NPC loved one, for example, dies, right? And now like that character has lost, you know, a spouse or a child or a, a parent or something and like is no longer the same character. Like, I don't want to play the anguished father. I don't want to play like the the mournful daughter, you know, like I, I just don't want to play that anymore. Like my character has lost its like basis and I it, my character is dead to me maybe that means I throw myself into the first dragon's mouth that comes along or maybe the character is just retired and now is an NPC and doing all of that and I bring in a new character right um, or you know it could be things like you have a you know permanent loss of intelligence right like you're hit with feeble mind and it's permanent um, and now you're just mechanically a little bit worse yeah we talked about this actually in there are a lot of games that inflict permanent negative uh, penalties on characters. Uh, the one we play the most is the 40k games. They have crit tables where if you get hurt badly enough, you can permanently lose limbs. You can permanently lose uh, points on characteristics, which are basically ability scores. This happened with Jim's character, Draco, when who was basically the face of the party, like a, a face gunslinger who mm-hmm. got shot in the face with an inferno pistol. Right, and uh, the penalty to charisma or to um, fellowship fellowship was so high that Jim was like, well, I can't play this character anymore. He's dead. Like, I'm, I'm just not going to fate point him. Yeah, everything he's capable of doing is, is now useless. I think it actually reduced his fellowship to zero. Oof. Yeah. I mean, he got hit in the face with an Inferno pistol. That checks out. Right. So, yes, you can uh, technically, according to the rules, spend a fate point, not die, and then, like, you, you know, somehow recover from that, but he, does, he doesn't have a face. There's, there's no point in playing a face. Right. So, keep in mind, like, you know, that's an extreme example, but even just small hindrances will feel bad for the players over the course of a long campaign. You know, like, you might not think that losing minus two to your intelligence is going to feel bad for your wizard, um, you know, because it's one ASI that you need to get back to zero. Um, but, like, over the course of a long campaign, when you're playing it for 30 or 40 sessions, like, that starts to add up, and it's very frustrating. Mm-hmm. It's a reminder every single time. Yeah, and especially depending on like how the system values that loss, right? Like in three point five D and D, you would have also lost skill points in addition right. to that intelligence, and you know, in addition to your saving throw being worse, and, and just every enemy having a slightly easier time resisting your spells. Right, and it's it's difficult to like don't rely on just you know, oh, you can fix it the next time you spend XP, right? Because for for a certain class of player that is going to feel actually worse because not only am I like wasting my build points to like undo this consequence I am now like not able to do the cool thing that I had planned now I'm stuck just getting myself back to zero yeah it's almost like uh being penalized twice right Right. you you took away my stat points you also took away the awesome cool thing I've been waiting six months to get right uh, especially if it's like a prerequisite for something else, you know, mm-hmm. like, oh, I finally got to my 20 intelligence so that I could take this thing and now I'm at 18 and great. Oh, oh my God. Right. Like uh, losing one point of dexterity um, back in the day when every feat had a dexterity requirement of 13. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so you would buy up to 13 because you're like, well, I can't do anything without this. And you lose one point. You're like, great. Okay. Uh, yeah. Being a fighter is useless. 
it'll be four levels until I can fix that. Yeah. Okay, so another type of negative consequence, uh, and one that I think we saw a lot more of in um, Band of Blades, is when you have, like, bad stuff that is planned and telegraphed, right? Um, There's, like, a concept in Forge in the Dark games where you create clocks for certain consequences. Things like, you know, long-term stuff like addiction or obsession, uh, rivalry, corruption, different things like that can, like, build over time. And when you take actions, like, that is just a consequences you might tick that clock. Yeah, it's nice to sort of put it right there in front of everybody and particularly in front of the player who might be suffering this consequence saying, yes, you can make this choice or this thing has happened to you. Don't worry about it yet. You are not addicted. You, you know, you are not, you know, completely um, poisoned uh, by this disease or whatever, but it's coming. And if you keep moving in this direction, keep making these choices, or do nothing to mitigate this, then you will definitely have consequences. And when those happen, nobody's surprised. Right. Then the other thing that's cool about it is like, you know, you make a you make a four o'clock or a six o'clock or something, you tick it once. Um, and like, you don't really think about it again, right? Because like one tick on a six o'clock or even on a four o'clock is like, it's not a big deal, right? Like, fine, whatever. So this, this substance that I just made up is, I guess, a little bit addictive. Um, like, if it's a throwaway line, it's just a throwaway line, and it means nothing. Uh, if it becomes more than that, then, like, it grows on its own, and it feels, like, cool that, like, oh, this thing that we just made up and started, you know, six sessions ago is now kind of bearing some fruit. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like uh, additional resources for the character, where, you know, you're basically like, all right, you can you can take a combat stim uh, normally, like there's a normal function of the um, of the item, and it like gets you back in in a fight. And you know there are no negative consequences because the game doesn't say there are negative consequences. But if I potentially want to take multiples of them at the same time and try to sort of rig some different ability or or some bonus from them ahead of time or something like that, you can be like, y- yes, you can definitely try that or do that. It's gonna tick one, maybe two boxes on that addiction clock. Do you want to do that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it actually, like, in a way, it kind of gives you, like, an extra power because you have a consequence sitting here for the GM to hit you with, mm-hmm. right? So it's like, cool, I have something to negotiate here. <laughs> right, so Weirdly. something else I can sacrifice <laughs> right, exactly. on the altar of doing cool stuff. Right, like, I will give you this moment, GM. What will you give me in return? <laughs> and then probably something that most people are, are asking about when when they wonder about long-term consequences is random bad stuff. Uh, stuff you didn't know that was happening or stuff that the dice say happens. Right. So this is, um, we did the Dynasty Unwarranted recap, right? Which is a Rogue Trader game. Um, this is like, this is grimdark, right? Like bad stuff happens because bad stuff happens sometimes. Um, it's also, I think, like a, a heavy part of a lot of like the OSR games is just like, you know what? Sometimes the dice just up and f*** you. Um, and like we'll just deal with that so like you'll see critical hit tables or like critical damage that escalates and like um harms and maims uh you'll see like you know kind of combinations of short-term and long-term consequences like like you said right like draco got shot in the face with an inferno pistol that was you know a nine on whatever the explosive chart was to the head and that meant fellowship zero that is just the way the game works like when you walked in 
you know, Jim knew that the risk was someday he could get shot in the head and like now his character is effectively dead, even if he still has fate points that could technically keep him alive. Right. A a scenario like that, you hope it doesn't happen, but you know that it is a possibility in a game like 40k. It also is a possibility in like a D&D game like Dark Sun, which we are playing. It would not happen in an Eberron game. Right, exactly. Unless you specifically were saying, oh, we're playing a pretty dark Eberron game. Yeah. Um, You know, you have games like Band of Blades even, like, will kill and maim your characters off camera. Like, they just don't come back from the mission you sent them on. Or they come back with a debilitating injury. And, like, sure, you get the narrative explanation of why that happened or how that happened. But, like, it doesn't feel good. (laughs) Like, this, this character that we were invested in just died. This also happens in genres like fantasy or very future tech sci-fi where everything's kind of cranked up to 11, you know, like eclipse phase, right? Everything is going to be replaceable. Um, Even you, maybe. Like, great, we've got clones of you in the back. Don't worry about it. Right. Yeah, like high-level D&D becomes this way too, by the way. Like once you get access to spells like Greater Restoration, Regeneration, Wish, like lots of problems are fixable with magic, uh, even for PCs. I mean, yeah, even you get Revivify, right? It's as long as we end this fight in the next 10 rounds, everyone who died, we're going to get back up. Uh, yeah, as, as long as you have the, the gold. <laughs> yeah, but the only person we really have to save is the person who can cast Revivify. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so there are a lot of mechanical ways in these kinds of genres where you can overcome these consequences, especially physical ones, right? You can clone a, a limb or, you know, Star Wars or 40K as... Uh, cybernetics or augmentics where you just get a mechanical limb and it can look exactly like an old limb and it works exactly the same Mm -hmm. yeah you might have to wear a glove on that hand now no other cost but that just makes you look cool right Uh, i mean (laughs) it does in the third movie of a trilogy it's kind (laughs) of lame in the first movie of a trilogy i will say one other thing that you can potentially do depending on the kind of game that you're playing is some of these can actually just be cosmetic you know if you have lost a limb and you want to just say that all right in some downtime your character's learning how to get by with with one limb but essentially is is just as effective and they're like tying uh, a shield to their um to their limb rather than like holding it in a hand like for the most part i have no problem doing that there are tons of people in the real world who are getting by just fine with one arm you know yeah yeah i i always like am a little hesitant sometimes with like specifically when you maim characters about like the immediate implication that they're just useless or dead right (laughs) like because like there are like you said there are lots of people who get around just fine in the real world and like who overcome that challenge without a problem who relearn to do everything they could do previously with like way worse like challenges than whatever would face like a narratively heroic player character um so like I, I think that is also a totally fair way to approach it is like cool you're going to struggle for this session and then the moment you get a few hours to like work on this you'll get better and the moment you get a little bit of long ter- long term downtime like it's fixed we're good right and you know if that doesn't quite sit well with you think about any pirate game you've ever played in how many of those pirates have an eye patch or or a hook for a hand right or a peg <laughs> leg any of those things right and like they don't run slower. Nobody cares about whether they can fight with a cutlass. And certainly they're not a worse shot because they have one eye rather than two and lack death perception. Right. Like right. It just it's just ignored in the narration. You can just do that. Exactly. 
So I think the the key there with all of these negative consequences then is to be true to the tone of your game, right? Like if your game is gritty and difficult, then like you can have challenging and difficult negative consequences for the players, right? But if it's if it's high flying and heroic, then even those type of like very very difficult real world outcomes can be overcome with little more than like some you know, uh, rakish audacity, if you will. <laughs> yeah, I always think of the Princess Bride at, at the end where Inigo Montoya is finally confronting Count Rugen and he gets stabbed in what really looks like his heart. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> but then what does he do? Uh, he basically second wins. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Takes the day and then, like, everyone just ignores that. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right, so let's talk a bit about positive consequences as well. Yeah, so, I mean, obviously there tend to be major gameplay loops associated with positive consequences. Like, that tends to be the main gameplay for most games. So things like leveling up, spending XP, unlocking new abilities, like, that is your basic positive consequence. Yeah, at the same time, you are you will rarely have a player who is angry that they have gotten a noble title, which, of course, is like a permanent long-term consequence for the story. Right. Or like a powerful magic item, you know, that is now integral to who their character is. Like, yeah, no, I'm good. Like, I'll take the staff of power, the robe of the arch magi. Like, don't feel bad about that. Right. Oh, this artifact has decided like, I'm its friend. Cool. Cool. Right. <laughs> <laughs> or, uh, you know, this devil has decided that it'll just follow us around in its chalice. Huh. Great. Hmm. He's just trying to help. Uh huh. <laughs> So these can still obviously have long-term consequences for the story um, and not always necessarily positive consequences, right? Right. Like you can become powerful enough or famous enough that people know who you are wherever you go. You could be infamous enough that people know who you are. That can be useful. Certainly it opens a lot of doors that weren't open before. Uh, It can also mean that it's much easier to ambush you because everyone knows your itinerary. Right. Uh, It can also like lead to having more responsibilities right like the idea that you might be able to conquer but now you have to rule um you know you might be able to like you might have pulled off that job and now you are you know kicking your heels back as a rogue trader but did you know that now you have forty thousand people who are under your uh under your command that you need to manage and deal with yeah now you wish you took fellowship skills too (laughs) right (laughs) um and then of course like any big success any big payoff like there are always new threats that come right like the world isn't static there's no happily ever after uh in the middle of your campaign anyway right so now that you have freed a nation from a you know tyrannical ruler well their neighbors might seek to conquer you because they see that you are weak right congratulations on your success you have now drawn the eye of an evil outsider right Or, like, you defeated the dragon, only to find out that the dragon was also keeping the world at bay from Cthulhu. Wait, I think I had the cause and effect backwards. Yes, the world at bay from Cthulhu. We will not seek out Cthulhu and destroy it. Now we unleash our forces. And now, now you are tasked with saving Cthulhu. Right. (laughs) The real enemy was man. Right. Maybe it's the other way around. Who cares? I think we should also talk a little bit about retiring characters um, because I think that is a potential outcome for any type of long-term consequence, right? Right, positive or negative. If you are a noble now, maybe now you're just a noble. Mm-hmm. 
Like you're not allowed to go adventuring anymore or or maybe it's just not as interesting for you to do administrative work. So now they become a patron for the party and potentially a new PC. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then when you have like negative consequences, right? Like keep in mind that a, uh, a fair consequence for the character might not work for the player, right? Like, like you said, like it might be narratively appropriate that they become a patron, but it also might just be like, no, like my, I don't want to play a character who does that. You know, like that's not my deal with who I want to imagine myself being. So I'm not going to. Yeah, so I would actually advise players here to try to take a moment to dissociate from the character when you are analyzing these potential consequences and and figuring out where you want to go from here. Like, think about what the character would do and what the character would want and what makes for an interesting story and arc for the character. And then once you have decided that, then you can evaluate whether that's an interesting story that you want to continue to follow. Like there is absolutely nothing wrong with saying, yes, this happens to the character or they accept it or whatever. I'm not interested in going there though, rather than the thing that I think is is often people's like initial reaction, which is I don't want to play a character who has changed in this way. And so the character will do everything to make sure that they don't change in that way. Right. Right. Yeah. So I think there is a... Uh... There's sort of a toxic old school mentality that like as a player you are saddled with your character uh, and you have to keep playing them Mm -hmm. or like at least until they die naturally, right? Naturally, as in picking a fight at a bar with seven half orcs. Well, right. And like, I mean, I remember hearing these horror stories on the early days of the internet where Mm -hmm. it was like, you know, the, the GM has cut off my character's hand i can no longer use my two-handed weapon like i can no longer use my family's ancestral axe uh there's no way for me to get it back and my group is telling me i have to keep playing this character so then i picked a fight and i died and they told me i wasn't allowed to do that because it wasn't a natural death and i was just like trying to kill my character what do i do uh the worst yeah or just hey we rolled for stats and i suck (laughs) oh yeah that's the other one i'd really like to die (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like I, I will charge headlong into the first fight because my character sucks. Yeah. Um. So don't do that. Like we should move past that. Instead, I think like it's better to sunset those characters that you don't want to continue going on with the party. Right. Hey, free NPC. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> They're already uh, involved in the story. Great. Now the GM can just run them or not run them. Doesn't matter. Right. And I mean, this can be like because you're limited in some way, right? Like your stats are limited or or you've lost things, but it could also just be like you have finished the arc for that character and like you don't have a new narrative arc or whatever their new arc is isn't really compatible with the party. Like I need to go do this thing. Like I need to go, you know, fix this thing for my family on our home world. I cannot continue with this group who is going to continue like pulling heists on the outer rim right like i need to go back to my thing now and like that character will ride off into the sunset right and this is a conversation that can be had over time you don't Mm -hmm. need to decide in the moment like i think for months you and i were talking about whether brand was going to stay with the party right because you know he he discovered this whole sybaris thing and and i'll be honest with you like if you decided okay he's gonna like retire and i'm gonna bring in a new character I probably would have just been like, all right, I'm going to decide the Sybaris thing is real and not like take that away from, from brand, like not take away his end game. Right. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, eventually you decided you'll stay with the party. And so that arc changed because you were still around. But it would have been perfectly appropriate to say this character's part in this story is done. Right. Um, And the, the key here is that you're looking for the satisfying narrative conclusion to the player. Right. So from the player's perspective, what's the right way to end it for their character? Um, like, yeah, like that, that brand moment could have been one. Like I always think of um, at the end of the, the film Shane, like Shane rides, he gets shot. Um, the little boy, Joey realizes that he's been hurt and he's bleeding, but Shane rides off into the sunset so that he doesn't die in front of Joey. Right. And like that, that could be the end and that could be cool. Like my character is dead my character Shane is dead uh, or it could be like maybe he will come back in the second or third act of our campaign right because we didn't see him die on camera so like maybe whatever right right no body no funeral exactly <laughs> <laughs> he he meets a traveler in the desert <laughs> right who makes him a deal <laughs> um yeah i think it is very useful for GMs to hand over the reins once a consequence has been decided to let players narrate how that consequence plays out, you know? Right. You've died. That's sort of the ultimate long-term consequence. Yep. Tell us how you go out. This is your moment. Right. And that doesn't have to be built into the the game system itself, right? Like in whatever system Shane is playing in, you get Savage shot. Worlds, obviously. Obviously, right. Uh, you got shot, and the rules say, "Great, you died." Um, let's just let's just drag that out a little bit. Tell us what you do. Right. Um, and then I think the other other cool thing about this, right? If you have characters sort of riding off into the sunset, like you can bring them back as NPCs, but you can also kind of continue their like story off screen um, using like rumor and like in fiction sources of information. Um, where like you hear, you know, that like change has happened on your home world or on that character's home world, right? Like did you hear that like um somebody pulled the sword from the stone off in Britain? Wait, was it Britain? It was Britain. It was Britain. It was time, in London, right? yeah. Okay. Yeah, so great. <laughs> like did you, you know, did you hear that rumor? Like it doesn't matter that we're down in like whatever Greece or whatever at the time right like that rumor still circulates and like oh well my character was the chosen one that's really interesting right like he is off hundreds of miles away and we'll never see them on screen but we've heard like oh he got this ending yeah and and I like this again GMs hand over some of the the reins on this like have little mini campfire not entire sessions but like Uh, vignettes where someone can just volunteer oh i think here's probably a rumor that we heard about the character that i used to play like two years ago yeah 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 so i think the the main thing to keep in mind here when you're dealing with long-term consequences is is not to approach this as the gm or the dice necessarily inflicting a consequence on a pc or a player it should ultimately be a conversation about one what has happened two what is the response to that on everybody's part so that you can come up to some sort of mutually satisfying conclusion. That doesn't necessarily mean a happy one, right? Not every story ends happily. Not every character dies well. Right. Um, And also, like, that conversation does not have to happen after the consequence. Like, you can have that conversation up front. Oh, totally. Right? Like, these consequences will happen over the course of this campaign. You guys cool with that? Like, you get that? 
um like we could we can revisit this you know like when it actually happens but like just up front we have this buy-in that we're expecting like this like attrition death spiral story right okay cool yeah and even if you're not if you're playing the barbarian talk about how you expect to die and maybe even in game your character boasts about the kind of death that they're looking for Uh uh-huh heroic filled with beer etc yeah exactly uh also i mean melee characters in general you should probably telegraph this yeah that's a good idea <laughs> all right do you hear that Ishan? uh that obviously is uh hammers and shields banging against each other welcoming me to valhalla all right well uh then we should move on to the character creation forge and get you some fresh armor but before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sense Carne. That's Malice minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrill.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at TotalPartyThrill. And join the conversation on Discord. You can even ask us to suggest topics and we'll probably do them. This week, Total Party Thrill is brought to you by D&D Beyond. D&D Beyond is the official digital toolset and game companion for Dungeons & Dragons. You can use D&D Beyond to build characters, track campaigns, run adventures, and do so much more. Uh, yo, okay. So, I've been running Gates of Morning for like the last year, uh-huh. and we have not been doing these ads for D&D Beyond for an entire year. So, this is basically the first time when I myself have been using D&D Beyond online as a player in our Dark Sun game. Uh-huh. Oh my god, the little the little HP scrolly wheel. You didn't tell me about this. We did tell you about this. Okay, maybe I wasn't listening cuz I, I was I was <laughs> feedback and everything. Oh my yeah, god, yeah, it's yeah. great. It's it's a little scroll and you, you get just this this little quiver from your phone with each HP that you roll to. I love it. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm like behind on this, but like it's it's such a nice interface. We actually talked about this in like a previous ad. <laughs> I'm glad you finally caught up. I don't listen to the ads. <laughs> uh, wonderful. Uh, you can also find free content like the D&D Basic Rules articles from James J. Heck and videos from Todd Kenrick. And the team is always updating the site with new features. So improvements are always coming. So you can check it out at www.dndbeyond.com. So this week in the Character Creation Forge, we have the Immortal. Shane, what is uh, the Immortal? Is it just a character with no long-term consequences? Uh, that is the idea. Yes, you are immune to long-term consequences because you cannot die. Nice. The ultimate consequence. <laughs> um, I think in most fiction, like you have immortals who uh, who cannot die from old age, but can be killed through like conventional means, or like if a certain series of things happens correctly, you know, you get beheaded or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a lot harder to do in D&D, so I turned this one on its head. <laughs> this The immortal can only die of old age. <laughs> like, like, time is the only killer that he's worried about. <laughs> Perfect. All right, what's the build? The build is Zealot Barbarian 9, Monk of the Long Death 11. So from Barbarian, we get Rage, of course, which gives us those damage resistances, all that tanky stuff like uh, advantage on dexterity saving throws, etc., etc. Mm-hmm. At level 3, when you pick up the Zealot Path, you will get Divine Fury, so you can add 1d6 plus half of your Barbarian level damage to the first hit on each turn. And it's your choice whether that is Necrotic or Radiant damage. At level 3, you also get what I guess is supposed to be a ribbon, but I really like. Warrior of the Gods means that Uh spells that bring you back to life cost no material components. 
including things like true resurrection. Right, like those are the things that keep you from getting brought back to life, especially at low levels before all of your abilities have kicked in. People can't afford a 300 gold diamond to revivify you. Right, exactly. Um, at level six, you get fanatical focus, which is uh, once per rage, you can reroll a failed saving throw. And at nine, you get brutal critical for extra damage on your crits. So as we know, monks are notorious crit fishers, so that brutal critical should come in handy. And then as well, you've got the bonus damage from Divine Fury. So uh, you can kind of hold your own more or less as a damage output barbarian. Mm -hmm. Uh, You are punching, of course, with martial arts. You get all your key abilities like Stunning Strike, uh, which is going to make it even easier for you to crit. Um, and you know you'll get all the defensive stuff slow fall deflect arrows uh, 20 foot uh, additional movement speed in addition to your uh, unarmed movement speed and uh, things like being able to dodge as a bonus action right Uh, you'll also get at level 3 for monk of the long death you get touch of death which will uh, allow you to gain temp HP whenever you reduce an enemy to 0 at level 6 you'll get hour of reaping which as an action uh, forces a wisdom save for creatures within 30 feet or they become frightened of you and of course, we're here for Mastery of Death. At level 11, when reduced to zero hit points, you can spend one key point as no action to be reduced to one hit point instead. Uh, meaning you've got to die basically 11 times over before, before short you rest. even risk a, a death save. Yeah. So in terms of leveling order, I think we start three levels of Barbarian, go ahead and get our Zealot Path uh, for those cheap resurrections, and then take 11 levels of Monk and finish out Barbarian. So, Ishan, who is your immortal? My immortal is not a single person. She is the physical manifestation of the ancestor spirits of her entire clan. Okay, so it's not a swarm of bats. Uh, yeah, no, it's, she's definitely a swarm of bats. Of course, okay. she is. why would she <laughs> not right. be a swarm of bats? <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> so, so here's how I would I, I would play her is each time she dies she comes back with a slightly different personality because she is a different ancestor who now is continuing the work that a a previous ancestor was an unable to finish and you know maybe eventually they start cycling through again because one needs to rest in the afterlife before manifesting again mm-hmm. um, so you know each time she gets revivified or, or brought back to death we're, we're dealing with a potentially new person who has all the the memories right this is not like an amnesiac character this is someone who who's just changing personality at random <laughs> basically well when when they come back right and now someone who's like hold on okay i'm gonna do this the right way because obviously like you were not handling this properly and then once we get to the point where she can spend a key point each time to to come back i i would begin cycling through like three or four different people each time who are like all right i'm back and they basically like uh, tag team spirits who are coming back in into this vessel to to complete whatever like great task they have set for them nice what about your immortal uh my immortal uh started out as a zealot um a a true a true believer um and you know took full advantage of that uh but what they don't tell you at zealot college is um when you're brought back to life with no material components it feels like your soul is being ripped out of the afterlife uh and forced into a body it is one of the most painful experiences possible nice so good flavor yeah, so my zealot has become obsessed with staving off the need to be, like, resurrected. Um, and hence the pursuit of the uh, monks of the long death, which, of course, are teaching her 
how to um, like keep death uh, at arm's length. Oh, right, like keep her spirit in the body. <laughs> right, exactly. Like she has to fight. She has a purpose. She she has no choice but to do that. But like the dying thing, the dying thing is a big problem. <laughs> That's mm, mm, I'm gonna I'm gonna say no there. Right, exactly. <laughs> it was almost as bad as the loans from Zealot College. <laughs> right, like she can't say no to the resurrection, so she would like to prevent the need for resurrection. <laughs> right, or like she technically could. Right, but what is she gonna do? Not come back to life and finish her purpose? Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. All right, I dig it. All right, so before we wrap up, uh, let's take a moment to thank our Patreon supporters. Your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every single week. So if you'd like to learn more, you can check out all of our rewards at patreon.com slash totalpartythrill. All right, what do we have planned for next week's episode? We will be talking about dream sequences. A real snoozer of a topic, huh? Hey! All right, in the Character Creation Forge? We're building the Night Watch. All right, well, that's it for episode 231 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. 